It's my pleasure today to have um, Dr. Yaki Sedi from the Harvard Weizmann Institute today. He came all the way from Israel. He will be staying with us this week. So I know Yaki for about two years. We started working together when um, he was still at the Microsoft Research in Cambridge. And now Yaki is uh, in Israel and he has, he has done some great research on um, organ development and computational modeling applied to organ development application areas, including neural migration, you know, the brain, the pancreas, and germ uh, line analysis. Today, she is going to talk about programming stem cells and organ development as well. So, please. Thank you. Uh, so what I'm going to present now, it's more or less 10 years of research. It started with my PhD, where we developed the first model. Then I started my postdoc and developed another model. And then with Dimitris, we collaborated on third model. They're all organ develop development models, uh, all stem cell system, all very dynamic development. And I will sample over these three, three projects. First, I have to give a motivation what to, why to do what I'd like to do or what I'm doing. And it's always hard to justify what you do. So what I decide to do is to quote others. And this is a quote taken out of one of the reviews on the stem cell, pancreas, and liver. And what the author wrote there, there is a pot potential targets for cellular therapy includes diabetes and liver failure. However, in order for stem cells to be clinically useful, we must, very strong word, learn to identify them and to regulate their differentiation. So after this quote, it's easier to explain what I want to do. And just to put this quote, quote in more day-by-day -day words, so what the author says here, there is a great scientific, medical, economical potential in, in the unsolved question in stem cell research. And what I'm going to suggest in this lecture is that a theoretical study could pave new directions it could provide insight and testable prediction. So I suggest here computational models, theoretical study of stem cell, of stem cell system to address this problem. So what is my vision? My vision is realistic computer simulation as an analysis tool in stem cell research. So every lab or most of the labs will have kind of a CD of the system they are working on and they can play with it, can understand, get in silico study before they're going back to the back to the back to the the bench back to the experiment and this is of course must be supported by the field's experts so in most in most of the of my projects we collaborate with a biologist trying to see that we are not uh, doing science fiction whether we're doing real science and I'll show some of us some of our prediction over the predictions over the year that we managed to prove uh, experimentally. So here it's the place to, uh, to quote the Beatles. Uh, I know it sounds almost like I'm illusioning when I put some, this kind of vision, but uh, as John Lennon said, I'm not the only one. Uh, here are three examples of an uh, organization who decided to go in, <coughs> in this uh, direction. The European Union funded 70 million euros for virtual human project. Uh, the FDA, the American uh, uh, Drug Association, Food and Drug Association, supports uh, now in silico uh, studying of a model by Dennis, Dennis Noble. I don't know if you heard about it. During the 50s, Noble decided to, 
to model the elec electrical activity in the heart. He started with a few differential equations. 50 years later, the FDA said, says to the uh, pharma, pharma industry, go play with this model. It's not that they, they are testing drugs on the, on the models, rather they just uh, play with the model, try to get new insights and new direction. And the place where I did um, my postdoc Microsoft research, they initiated the biological computation unit a few years ago. And as we all know, Microsoft uh, don't invest money for nothing. They try to look for the future. There are more examples, but I find this the, the top three to, to present and to try to support my, my vision. So what is the strategy that I'm going to present? What I suggest is to model the way in individual cell analyze its, its, uh, its uh, next step, trying to decide what to do next, put a lot of, cell, uh, a lot of cells together, and see how the, how the organs form, how the dynamic emerged from many cells with the same behavior. This is, uh, this is a way trying to, to imitate biology. We all, all the cells have, have the same DNA, they have the same software but they decide what to do based on different, um, different signals and different decisions. And what are the decisions that the stem cell does? It can proliferate, create another cell, and it can differentiate, become a more speci uh, specialized cell. And then take all the cells after we model their behavior and see how they progress over time. How the model is implemented? This is uh, an example from the pancreas model. It's a kind of pseudo design. So we have states for each, uh, we have states for each, uh, each mechanism, for example, the differentiation or the proliferation for the genes or the effectors. We have the receptor here that can be bound or unbound. And we can have, have a unit that can decide where to go. So when the model is execute, executed, this cell each component, component of this cell decides on its active states, what is the state of its current state. So for example, this gene is expressed, but these two are unexpressed. This cell moves around, proliferate, until it uh, detects, uh, detects a factor beyond a certain concentration. The receptor bounds to the, bounds to the receptor. It keeps proliferating, moving around, and until another receptor um, detects a concentration above a certain threshold. Once it got these two cell extrinsic signals, it, sh it uh, shuts down the expression of this gene. Once this gene is, is, uh, is not expressed, another gene is expressed. This is negatively <coughs> regulated, and there is a, a long, uh, long lineage of, uh, of uh, interaction. And eventually, the PDX1, one of the genes, one of the, the key markers is expressed, and the cell differentiates from endoderm to pancreatic progenitor. Uh, and this cell is visualized in a different, in a front end. Once this action takes place, the, the cell itself, the animation, changes its color from red to green. And this is just a, a glimpse into how the model works. We he have here the reactive engine. We see the different cells changing states. We have mathematical analysis. 
And we have 3D animated font and here that visualizes the, the activity of the, of, the, of the model. So, in the past 10 years, we have developed three models using this kind of approach. The, the three models, the three systems are taken from distinct organisms. One of them is the C. elegans, one of them is the rodent, the mouse or the, or the, or the rat. And we, we have here another example from the rat. It's three distinct organs, but we use the same design to, to model them. So in the, in the next slides, I'll go over the, all over the three models and explain a little bit about the model and some of the, some of the understanding we gain from the model. And I'll show some of the predictions and how we tested them. So this is the first project I'm going to, to present. It was the topic of my PhD. These two were my supervisors, and we collaborate with Yuval Dor, he's an experimental biologist. David O'El is a computer scientist, and Yaron Cohen is immunologist, and he is an MD. And it was very important, when, when we look backward, it was very important to have people from different fields so we can brainstorm, and each one contributed its own, name, its own uh, view, its own perspective. And uh, I think that was one of the key successes of the of the project. So what's going on in the pancreatic organogenesis? The system starts from a flat sheet and it gets, uh, it develops this uh, cauliflower or broccoli shape structure and kind of eyelets inside, which these are the eyelets of Langerhans what, that uh, secretes insulin. This is the cause of, uh, in, in diabetes, for example, there is failure in this uh, in these areas, so this is just um, to show you the model. If this is the the way biologists il illustrated the pancreatic development, and this is histology of the development over three steps, we added our own model. This is snapshots from the model. By the way, this work was published two years ago uh, at the at the PNAS. If anyone wants to to read it. And uh, this is, of course, a dynamic process, so I can't show you just, uh, just uh, snapshots. I have to show a dynamic, the, the dynamic formation. So this is the clip of the pre-recorded clip of the model. We see the flat sheet, then we create this bud, and cells keep proliferating, differentiating. And um, bear in mind that each one of these balls here, or each one of the cells, carry the same design. And the fact that this green and this red is just the, the extrinsic hue it sensed. Uh, this is interactive, uh, interactive front-end. You can halt the simulation, change perspective. You can slice the model to compare with 2D histology. And uh, you can even query it cell by itself. This, one was, this was one of the studied, we, studies we did on, the, on this model. What, what is the exact mechanism? What is the the specification pro program, what are the decisions a cell takes, and what happens if we knock out each one of the genes. So if this is the normal development and this is the specification uh, 
program starts with this gene and ends with PDX1, what happens if we delete the pancreatic marker? So as expected, cells do not become pancreatic and they end with a flat sheet. And we compare it with histology of a, of a similar experiment. And the same, what happens if we enhance the activity of one of the factors? Again, we don't see any development and it agrees with the uh, with uh, previous uh, experiment that did the same. This was an, a very interesting insight. What happens if we take the pancreatic marker and we direct it to activate its own repressor? So we have kind of circle here and cells can decide whether they are pancreatic or endodermal. And we showed that it ends with a flat, flat sheet of cells uh, which are partially, partially um, uh, specified. Uh, I was very excited about this, uh, this result and I went to Yuval Dor and told him the result and he told me, you know what Yaki, 15 years ago someone did the same experiment and we looked at the paper and there is general agreement between the prediction and the result. So it's a prediction that was pr proven 15 years ago but <laughs> <laughs> no success th this time. This is another, another uh, problem that we try to, to we use the model to study. This is the, the, those clusters that, that I mentioned earlier that are inside the, inside the pancreatic tissue. Um, these cells appear and differentiate only in the central areas. You see them here in red and here they're highlighted. It's in the core of the core of the structure. And no one knows why it's why this uh, differentiation is restricted to the, to the central areas. So in the model, we specify two concurrent mechanisms. One of them is the delta naught sig signaling. Each one interacts with its neighbor to decide on its fate. And the other one is cell proliferation. And with these two, man uh, with two, with these two mechanisms, we manage to uh, recapitulate this, um, this phenomena. And what we suggested is, that because the proliferation in the, in the core areas is limited because it, they have no room to, to proliferate, they are more likely to have more interactions with the neighbor and to decide on this, um, on, to, to adopt this, uh, this uh, fate. And if, if our theory is, is right, if we block the proliferation, we'll, we'll, we won't see any particular area uh, of differentiation. So indeed when we ran the, ran the animation, the simulation without proliferation, we see that they are spreaded around and they are not concentrated in the core at all. Is it plausible? Uh, is it a plausible uh, hypothesis? So the answer is yes. Recent findings show that uh, the, there is higher mitotic epithelial cells more, more proliferate in the proliferal areas and not in the core. And can we te test it? And again, I didn't come with this, uh, with this experiment. I didn't suggest it. The one who suggested that it is the, our biological collaboration, Yuval Dor, and he said, let's reduce the proliferation rate in the outside and see if, the, if we see these pink cells emerge there. This maybe the, was the highlight of the research. Uh, we decided to see, to use the model to, to try to predict new structure, different structure at all. And if this is the broccoli structure of the, 
of the of the pancreas, how can we create this kind of structure? And we suggested that a condensed development of blood vessels in the surrounding will lead to this more liver-like structure. And if we'll have a branch development of blood vessel, we will have a more branch structure. And again, we try to show systematic in nature, in development, and show that these three foregut organs that develop more or less at the same time in a very close area can change the, the pancreas can change the form just based on changing one factor. Uh, when we came up with this uh, with this prediction, I said it will never be tested. Technology can't uh, test it ever, but I was wrong. This is unpublished data by Uvaldo, our biological co collaboration, and he showed that if this is the wild type in mice, where the vascular network was reduced they got more condensed development, while when it was enhanced, the vascular network, it was more branched. So this is one kind of prediction that the model can provide and the experimentalist can test. And that was the end of my PhD, uh, and then we started another project. We focused on the germline development in the C. elegans. This was my manager at Microsoft Research, and we collaborated with Jane Al Hubbard in New York University. She's an experimental biologist. She, she has no knowledge at all in modeling. And two of her students tested the, prediction, the predictions of the model. So what happens in the German, germline development in C. elegans? So this is the gonad, the reproductive organ of the, of the, of the C. elegans. Uh, it, here we have one cell, which is a somatic cell. It sends signals, ligand, to these cells, and they proliferate as long as the signal is active. So there is a receptor on these cells. On, on, there is a receptor on these cells that, as long as it's it's active, they will proliferate. When it's not active anymore, they will uh, differentiate. Uh, this is a bona fide stem cell population. A lot of the ideas here are tested in cancer research and in other systems. Uh, in the model, we, we modeled the development of the C. elegans of this all, uh, all the gonad from few cells, uh, and we focused on two parameters, the distance of this trigger and the distance the cell keeps the activity of the, of the receptor. Uh, this, this paper is, is currently submitted at Nature Biotechnology. If we'll be lucky, it will be revised. Okay, so this is a snapshot of the model. We see just a few cells, they proliferate. Soon they will start to differentiate. And as time progresses, they get this shape. Bear in mind that here there is the trigger, and soon they'll start uh, differentiating. Again, each one of the cells has the same, the same program. And the reason why this is blue, which is sperm, you see they, they become sperm, and they the spermatica is just because this is its time and the signals it got. Then later on development cell becomes oocytes, eggs, they go through the spermatica and create this embryo. This creature doesn't, uh, it's um, a froditer. They have, they can reproduce themselves. They have sperms and oocytes. So basically C. elegans has only female and female men. They don't really need men. Uh, they smart. 
So we had the model, and now it's time to test the model. So first we played with the activity of the, the activity of receptor. We showed that if the receptor is all, all the time maintain its activity over all the, the period, we get all over stem cells all over. And we, when the, the cells lost the function of this receptor, there are only a few cells that differentiate immediately. And this is well-known facts. This is experiments that were done during the, eight, sorry, during the 80s. And uh, we compared them with the, with the, uh, with the histology. With the, sorry, it's, it's not histology. It's pictures of the live animal. And we see here the zone of this, uh, this, uh, the stem cells. Then there are differentiated cells. We see the oocyte and the sperm here. Again, in the model, we see here the stem cells, then the differentiate, oocyte, and the spermatica. And here we see all over stem cells. And when we, when we reduce the, the activity of the, of the receptor, we see, I don't know if you see them here, there are only a few cell differentiated cells and the smaller, and the smaller uh, gonad. Now, we showed here uh, on and off. It's fully active, it's normal or not active. Can we play with the activity of the, the, activity of the receptor? So we set up three different levels, low, medium, and high, and ran the simulation with these three, with these three, um, with these three uh, parameters. You see it starts the same, but then it will get to the adult stage and will sense the, the activity of the, of the receptor. And that was very interesting what happens here. You'll see that at the same time, this one lost the stem cell population immediately, only a few of them. This was very short. And here we see the healthy uh, proliferative zone. This one disappeared on, almost immediately. It took longer for, this con to, for the zone to be lost under these conditions. And then this simulation kept the, a sustainable uh, proliferative zone. So based on this uh, result, we defined three levels of uh, three classes of receptor activity of the proliferative zone. When it's sustainable, that at the adult and later at the adult, we see the zone is maintained and sustainable. And there is unsustainable slow, uh, slow conditions when at the adult we still have the proliferative zone, but it disappears when it grows. And there is an unsustainable fast when it lost almost immediately. This was a very interesting observation because this is a paper from PNAS 2010 that was not very good day in my life. Someone published our prediction, but experimentally. And they show that if at zero hour in this mutation there is a zone of 22 cell diameters, after five and a half hours at the adult stage, it is lost. So we had the prediction, someone published it, not a good day. But this led us to, this pointed us to look at the progression of these cells in the, in the model. And here we see how it progresses over time, that it's getting smaller and smaller. And here we see the data 
they provided in the paper, the green dots, and we compared it with our model. So this is the, sustain, the sustainable con condition, fast unsustainable condition, and here we see the, the unsustainable small, slow uh, conditions, and we see that there is a very similar pattern. It goes, there is kind of a slowly losing the, the, the distance, and then it suddenly drops very, very, very fast. So the, the author of the paper suggested this hypothesis. They suggested that there are two, two types of populations here. One of them is the transient amplified cells, these are, and one of them, the multipotent over. So there are the, the original cells, there are the most potent cells that give rise to the others. Uh, however, they don't have any experimental way to test this hypothesis. It makes sense because in another system, in the Dorosdophila gonad, this is what happened and they managed to show it experimentally, but they couldn't prove it that there are two different types of cells in the C. elegans. So the, our model suggested an alternative explanation here. We suggest that this behavior, it's simple, the dynamic of the differentiation of cell, cells over time. There, there is proliferation, and when it goes below a certain threshold, all of them disappear, and then we get this phenomenon. When we, while we were analyzing the data, we, we, we noticed that in some cases there are two arms, they are symmetric, in some cases, we see that one arm is maintained, the population is sustainable, but was lost on the other, on the other one. I thought it's a bug in the, in the model, but apparently it appears in the C. elegans too. Not at the same percentage, but you can see it here too. That one arm maintains, and here we don't see any, any, any cells. Now, we go to this stage, we had nice prediction that was proven uh, at the same time. We got some nice phenomena that we observe in both of them. But can we get a prediction and prove it in the lab? What we did is to change the, the cell cycle time between the larva stage at the development at the adult stage. So at the normal, at the normal at the normal development of the C. elegans, we see that the ratio is five to one. It's five times faster at the at the at the the larva stage than in the at the adult, and we tested it in diff uh, with different uh, different rates. This was very interesting. When we reduced it by half, we see that it started normally but disappeared at the at the late. Uh, adult stage. Uh, it's interesting because the, the difference that we see here was known. It was already published, but no one looked on what will happen at the adult stage. So we went back to the, the bench and tried to, to see in, a, in the wild type and what's the behavior in the reduced larva cell cycle. So at the wild type, if at the, at the early stages we have a, a zone distance of 22 cell diameters, at the adult we have more or less the same distance. However, when we reduce the larvae stage, we see that the 22 reduced to 13. So in a way we managed to predict and test the same hypothesis. Okay, this is the third project I'm going to present. 
Uh, this is the project we did with uh, the Hamilton Institute here. Um, in this project, Chichen was my, uh, my intern. We decided to take a third system and try to model it and to see what we can learn. So this is the, this is the, the system we, we've chosen. Uh, this system cells proliferate at the vertical, verticular surface and pro proliferate here, change their uh, migration mode, start to, to, to migrate randomly, then they reattach to this fiber and he accumulate here to form the nerve system. Uh, we modeled that. And this is right now, it's not in review in PNS anymore. It's in review in BSC system biology. Let's see. So we see the proliferation here. We see how they migrate on the glial fi fiber. Then they uh, change their migration mo mode, migrate randomly, and accumulate on the top part. What we did in this model is to take the, the output of the model and to analyze them. First, we compared it with the experimental data. We see the red versus the, the blue, and it looks quite similar. And then we took the same data and analyzed it. Maybe you wanted to explain what we did. This was your part. <laughs> okay. So the dots here is that data extracted from the model. And the, the line is the same analysis, but data extracted from biological paper. And we see that when we ran the same test on the, on the data in vivo and in, vitro and in silico data, we get similar behavior. Another te test we did is just to check the velocity in, of the different stage, in, of the different uh, differentiation stage. And we see that those cells that move randomly are concentrated here in the center, but the cells that move vertically only on the glial fi fiber are, has different velocity. And we found correlation between migration stage and ve velocity. It took some time. We did, we did uh, some background research, read a lot of paper, and eventually we came to a section in a paper who says that this is plausible. So the model managed to recapitulate uh, some experimentally observed characteristics. Another thing that we did on the, in this model is to knock out one of the genes. And we see that when we knock out the gene, all those cell, all the, the, the cell enters multipolar differentiation at early, earlier than before and stuck here. They don't go all the way and create this uh, layer over there. This is an agreement with histology from the, from the mouse and again, the population, the distribution seems uh, in agreement, is in agreement with the, 
with the uh, biological observation, but this was unforeseen uh, phenomena. What, when we looked at the single neuron and look what happened, each one of them was associated and disassociated from the fiber. So what happens here is that I, the cells don't know what to do. The neurons don't know what to do, whether I should go this way, as I would normally do, but I'm lacking one of the, one of the key parameters, so maybe I should, I should not. And this phenomena differed between the different neurons, and we suggested this as a, as a delay in the multiple or a differentiation in differentiation. Okay, this was just the sample and overview of what I did in the, in the past 10 years. It's almost a decade. So what, what I'm trying to, to deliver to you is that there is an approach here that provides a generic conceptual tool to study stem cell dynamic. It could serve as a guideline tool before taking experimental trial. We had a few examples that, um, that we can, uh, we can test, the uh, test the prediction and show the results. Uh, in the long run, Again, it can help in uh, the development of stem cell treatments and regenerative medicine. Uh, and it can may even impact studies on cancer because many of the mechanisms in stem cells also appear in, uh, in cancer. And a lot of the studies in stem cells can have an uh, implication in, uh, in uh, cancer research. So this is another way to look at that. Just to conclude, modeling is an important research tool for stem cell uh, research. Uh, in silico, study can be instrumental and useful in development biology and tissue engineer. Uh, this can only be achieved by close collaboration between modelers and biologists and to create the desirable best outcome. That's it, thank you very much. Thanks very much, Keki. Any questions? Yes. So, Yaki, often in these models, there's quite a bit of work to get all the parameters for the various, you know, so how much, how robust are the models? How much do you have to tune the parameters to get the in silico to match the... It depends on the parameters. Some of them are more robust, some of them are less. What, what we try to guide us uh, is that we incorporate in the model whatever is known in the biology. If there is a parameter we know in, bi in the biology which is robust, it will be robust in the model. Remember the vision. The vision is realistic models. It should be very much like the biology. It shouldn't replace the biology, but it should be as similar as possible. So in principle, put into the model everything you know. So if you know there is a fragile uh, parameter that you need to fine-tune, you should find it unit in the model. And again, the, the decision of which parameter is more robust is, is what biologists says, or papers. And you have to read a lot of papers in this kind of research, a lot of different sources. Um, some of them, some of the papers you need to read again and again and again and just find you know, the difference between uh, the way they write it, whether it's this is the most important one or this may be an important factor and you should have to incorporate this knowledge into the model. Any more questions? Yeah, so, so you had some very nice visualizations of what the model was outputting. 
Um, but it included things like the, one, the last example, you had a two-dimensional visualization of the thing, whereas some of the earlier ones, the threat cells were grown in three dimensions. Do you have to tell it things like how many dimensions the cells can move around in, or is that part of the sort of input to the model, or it's do you let it go? And no, it's part of the model, and when you learn the system, when you study the system, you have to decide whether two-dimensional is a good uh, approximation of the, of, the, of the system or not. In the last two examples, two-dimension two was, uh, was enough to present a cut of the, of the organ, but for example, in the, in the pancreas example, 2D wasn't enough. We just had to go with 3D. It introduces a lot of uh, challenges to the modeling, but... Uh, yeah, the pancreas takes about 45 minutes. The C elegans takes a few minutes. Uh, we tested the simulation, the simulation up to 10 minutes. Um, do you remember how long the? Also, also a few minutes. Uh, again, it depends on how reali realistic it is and how the. It's not a big issue. It's not a big issue. The pancreas one, because it was in 3D, it was uh, much more heavy, heavier with more cells. In the other systems, it was easier because the number of uh, instances was much lower. Just to give you estimation, um, I think the, in the C. elegans example, it's a few hundred, while in the pancreas, it's 10,000. So it just. Uh, Any more questions? Any models of uh, lung development, oh. lung organogenesis? No, not that I'm familiar with. Branching. There are, there are some models who try to understand what is the decisions. And there, there was, uh, two years ago, a nice paper in Nature about the, the, they just pick up a few, a few building blocks, whether it can... Uh, divide only one branch or two branches, and they show that this can recapitulate the, the, the branching of the, of the lung. Uh, it's less interesting than the, the kind of research that I'm doing now, because what I'm doing now includes differentiation. And in the lung, all the cells have the same, the same differentiation. So just like more of the branching morphogenesis. I believe that the, that the structure of the lung Determine very much on the from the the blood vessel layout over there. That's what I think, but uh, never tested it. There are many research that show that there is uh, interplay between the blood vessel and the lung development. So, what's the actual next step, Yagi, for the technology? Have you thought about it? No, no. no. What I really would like to do, but that's because I'm I'm computer scientist in training. So every time I build a new model, I had to go from scratch. Uh, if there was a designated tool for modeling stem cells, that would help a lot, and I think it will just make this kind of of modeling, this kind of research, much easier. This is something I really would like to do. Uh, to model the entire brain, what we discussed uh, the last, uh, the past few days, can be a really challenging uh, task. We focus in this research only on the cortex, which is where the mo most of the neurons are, but they have the more boring behavior. So. 
It's in about 90% of the neurons in the 80 cortex. 80 to 90, yeah. Okay, that would be coffee and muffins outside, so thanks, Yaki, once again.